Only Three Lads is a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family, home to some of the best music podcasts on the planet. Visit PantheonPodcast.com to discover more. And if you like what we do on O3L, we kindly ask you to please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. It really helps us more than you know. We're getting there. Just a few minutes from now, it'll be 1979. Can you believe it is episode 107? Whoa! 107. Thank you so much for being part of the Only Three Lads podcast community where we take a look at the golden age of alternative music from 1974 to 1999. I am Uncle Greg, of course, the rocktologist, the rockter, the professor, Brett Fargo. I'm all of that and none of it. No. All and a of bag it. of chips. I was going to say a bag of chips. So, wow, um, episode 107. Recently, I told somebody, if we get killed or if we kill somebody, when we get on the news, they're going to say, podcaster Brett Vargo oh. was killed by his fellow prod- you know, podcaster, <laughs> he, Uncle Greg, he went by. Wait, 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 are you plotting my murder? Absolutely not. No. But what I'm saying is that, you know, like news has gotten so salacious now. Yeah. Like if you have like 10,000 followers on Instagram, then you're an influencer. And then like if you kill somebody, get, you know, kill somebody in a DUI, it's, you know, Twitter influencer, podcaster. You know, it's, it's some like it's a title. And at episode 107, we definitely would have to carry that title of that now. We've passed the point where we can now, when we get murdered, be called podcasters. That's that's how they would describe us. I would like to submit as Exhibit A, if I ever get murdered, Greg did it. I Well, yeah. This well, episode. No. This episode right here. Okay. Well, I have no plans of killing you. Okay, thank you. And likewise. Yeah, there's a lot of people out there, though, you know. Um, sometimes when I sit in the newsroom, and this is probably not the smartest thing to say, but I think it's true. If I ever get a terminal illness, you're going to be reporting on me because I know I'm going after some people. You could only sit in a newsroom and hear the horrific things that you hear every day and not want to take somebody, put them in a vice and watch them get crushed very slowly. But that's just me. I have all kinds of fantasies of uh, some of these people who killed something or somebody in a depraved way. And I just want to do it back to them and then see you in hell, my friends. See you in hell. But you know what? You know how they say that the best place to get sick is in the hospital? Wouldn't you think that the best place to make news is in the newsroom? Well, yeah, um, but they'd screw up then the facts more than likely. That's just the way it works. Uncle Greg went on a murdering spree tonight at, well, right now. No, it would be podcaster. Oh, podcaster, Uncle Greg. Yeah, it'd be a podcaster goes on a murdering spree. Get the details tonight at 10 on Eyewitness News. People already probably figured this out, but we are recording this at night. (laughs) No, this is good. This is real. This is real. Good. This is real hard-hitting stuff. We actually do not plan on murdering anybody and hopefully do not get murdered. Yeah, I don't plan on murdering anybody. This is our alibi. Sometimes it may happen. Okay, This is our alibi. I just want to be honest because if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it for a reason. And I'm amazed throughout my life the things that I can do 
if I feel justified. I've never done any murder or anything like that, but Ooh, I mean, like there's a good. lot of things like when I, you know, being a reporter, going out and talking to some of these politicians, I learned early on to like let them start building up like a high chair and let them get higher and higher. Yeah. And then you just take out the bottom chair and watch them crash. There is nothing that gives me more pleasure than letting somebody talk themselves in the corner and then verbally punching them in the mouth. Yeah, there's a lot of weird things that I hear each day that like sometimes I get really upset. Like today, there was a guy in Mojave County, Arizona. He got busted because he had hundreds of dogs, cats, rabbits. He was freezing them alive. And so he had all these animals in his freezer. So there would be nothing more than I'd like to do than to, I don't know, maybe like, you know, tie him down to the ground, put honey all over him and let the ants eat him until he's dead. And wish upon him Satan's herpes. Yes. And then I, I would right. hope that he could have Satan's herpes and then uh, and, and, and scurvy, too, because I. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. a lot of times you know, people I wish cancer on you. I always wish scurvy on people because, you know, um, watching somebody's gums bleed, um, that would be a real turnoff to their lovers and to their uh, other people around them. So I don't want to go as far as cancer because that's what I will die from, probably more than likely with my family history. Wow. And so I'm hey, being truthful. I, I know. I know. Yeah. And it's so then just, it's getting dark early. Yeah. Well, so I just wish scurvy on people. And that makes me feel still like I'm shooting, um, you know, venom their way. But it's not, you know, like the venom that could bounce back and get me real quick. Ahoy, matey. May you get the scurvy. Yeah. Scurvy would be a good one, huh? Especially if you use the proper article, the scurvy. Yeah, the scurvy. The scurvy. Plus, the way how you spell it is kind of sexy, too. A couple of V's in there. S-C-U-R-V-E-E. No, is that how you spell it? No, it's not how you spell it, but I'm just thinking of, like, if we were to have a band name called the scurvy, I would think that you would want to spell it with two E's. It's spelled with a Y, though. Yeah, let's see here. No, scurvy's only one V. Yeah, right? one V. Okay. S-C-U-R-V-Y. I was never a good speller. It's all right. I'm a rockter. Now, when it comes to like uh, seeing patterns or, you know, sniffing out BS, I'm really good at that. That's part of my job of being a reporter for all those years. Yeah, so I can just tell. Yeah. When people are like, you know, you're going, hmm, hmm, I don't believe you. All right. So we got, hey! we talked about all that and uh, all of our weirdness. But tonight we're talking about our favorite albums of 1979. Um, I was so little. You were so much litter, littler. I was littler. Yes. Yes. And uh, so we didn't go out to the record stores and buy these records. I did. Come on. You were what? Four? Well, I turned five that year. But 1979 was the year that I became irreversibly, indelibly, and forever branded as a music nerd because it was the year that my brother Brian and I bought our first Beatle record. Hmm. It's all been craziness from there from there i think for me it was of course the first album that my brother brought home which i really globbed on to of course we've talked about this the cars yeah and so that was prior to 79 but i that's 79 i was still kind of wishy-washy i was just listening to what my sister listened to a lot of knock on wood. There was a lot of disco that year. I remember Love it. I remember sitting out in front of an alpha beta listening to knock on wood mm. and just hearing all those songs, all these pop songs. And that was my life back in 79. Well, I'm going to declare it. 1979 
was probably the greatest year for albums in recorded pop music. I think, yeah, 71, 73, good too, though, if you think, but that was before yeah. our time. But I would have to say that there's a lot of um, a lot of great bands, a lot of great music that did come out of 79. You're right. It was kind of hard to get this list together because there was so much great stuff. Um, and then to get it, you know, five through one was another kind of chore that I had to get through. Yep. And there was a few heartbreakers that I was like trying so hard to get on this list, but I went with what I went with and I'm going to stick with it. I agree. You know, I, I'm going to qualify my last statement because I'm a big 60s nerd. So 66 and 67 was probably the greatest years for music ever. But as far as 1979, it was I was amazed not only how many albums I put on there for consideration, but how many heartbreakers I was like, ah, gosh, I really, I mean, this really deserves a spot in the top five. Well, not only just in classic alternative, but just in rock music too, there's a lot of great stuff that came out that yeah. year. I mean, there's just so much great music. And do you want to know what the common denominator was? There was a lot of record labels back in 1979. There Everyone was. was taking a risk. Uh, there was artist development. Now, how many labels are there? I don't know. Well, there's really three? there's three majors. That's about it. Three majors, and then then any record label that you have that has a separate branding, like Capitol Records, classic record label. Everybody who's been to Hollywood has seen the Capitol Records building. It's a part of Universal now, so it's really just nothing more than a subsidiary, a brand name at this point. Yeah, but you're right, and there is just so much diverse. Music just in the pop music realm. We talked about the disco. I mean, it was the year of Off the Wall and Spirits Having Flown. It was a year of rock albums. The Wall was out that year. Yeah. Metal, yet Prague, post-punk, new wave, electronic, hardcore. The two topics that we've talked about recently. 1979 was the year of the mod revival. It was the year that all these major labels, believe it or not, bought up all these power pop groups. Do you think we're ever going to see it again? No, not to that degree. You have better access to music than ever. Yeah, but I think that better access, though, I think it kind of made the bubble smaller. Yeah. Because remember, because you used to listen to the radio and you would hear new music along with then where you're, when you're waiting for your, your favorite song. And you're like, oh, I like that. Oh, that's new. And now it's like everyone just listens to the same music over and over again. I think it's harder to find new music. You can look harder. There's great music out there, but I think it's a little harder to find. Because now you have to go search for it. It's out there. There's a lot of great music being made. There's a lot of indie labels. There's a lot of self-produced stuff. Not that you want corporate media shoving stuff down your throat, but you kind of need that guide sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. To help you find the good stuff, the wheat from the chaff. Right. Sometimes DYI is not great. You know what I mean? Sometimes you do need like specialization to help mold something. I think sometimes as you get more eyes on the project, sometimes it helps. Sometimes too many chiefs screw it up. So with our band, The Scurvy. Yes. Um, what kind of music should we start making? I know there's, if you're involved, there has to be a power pop element. I can't turn it off. Yeah, no. Anything I do is pop. I mean, the Scurvy would would be a great pirate metal band. No, I'm being serious. We're gonna have them do something that, um, it, and 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 we have to like do it here on the podcast so that we'll play it, and then you know people won't have to search for great music. Cool. So we have to like think some ideas, but there has to be guitars and there has to be like synth. We can do that. There's um something I've been listening to all week that I told I want people, and I it's just so stupid this song, but I can't get it out of my head. And I don't know how old it is, um, but this is guy, he's a French programmer, uh, Vitalik. You ever heard of him? 
Vitalik. I don't know that I have. Oh, you got it. There's a song called My Friend Dario. But God, Dario. it just makes me want to break things when it gets into... It's just my... It, it's, I don't know. It's like early 80s, almost like um, people are speaking. My friend Dario is a super mega car. Rides too fast. Rides too black. But then it kicks huh. in. It downshifts and it... I really like levels in music, you know, where it's kind of like yeah. a major tom, you know, four, three, two, two one, one, and you emotionally go off a cliff yeah, or you yeah. soar. That's the stuff that I like, you know, that's the stuff that I know that I'm always kind of attracted to. Do you like when the bass drops? Oh, heck yeah. Well, I and then also, of yeah. course, the whole Pixies and Nirvana quiet, loud dynamic, you yeah. know, where like you, you're kind of explaining things and then it's chunk, 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 chunk. Boom! This week I've been listening to the new Wet Leg album. Yeah, boy, they are good, aren't they? They are good. You know, really good. Around Christmas time, because remember, we were introduced to them by... By Andy Strickland. The Loft. Yeah. Yes. When he was our third lad. Yes. Because that song... uh, you know, it was one of your top songs of 2021. It was. On the Chaise Lounge. On the and Andy Chaise told Lounge. us about them when they were just a little known band on Isle of Wight, where he's from. And he said, oh, you've got to listen to this. And now I think their album is poised to debut at number one on the UK charts. I don't know how well it's doing here, but um, I know it's gotten a lot of radio play. Yeah, well, I, around Christmas time, I was at a party and I'm showing people, you know, we were bringing it up on YouTube. I was like, oh, you look, got to listen to this song. And now people are coming to me because they're hearing it on the radio going, oh, yeah. you, you showed us this song months ago. I was like, oh, yeah. they got You're other a tastemaker, ones too. man. No, Mr. Strauss. We've rambled on enough. Have we though? I'm sure that we have. I'm sure people are like, please shut up. So by the way, you're going to have to be our third lad. So make sure you make it to the Facebook page. Give us your list of the top albums of 1979. Of course, it's in the only three lads era between 1974 and 1999. You want me to go first this week? You can go first. All right, let's do it. it. Let's do it. All right. Now this one barely made the list. Not made the list. It barely made the list because of when it came out. So kicking off my list of the top albums of 1979 is a banger. It was released by Sire Records December 27th, 1979 in the U.S. It mixed punk and pop music. Of course, the first track, Precious, grabs you right from the start. Then uh, you have their Kinks cover of Stop Your Sobbing, Kids, Brass in Pocket. Yes, it's the Pretenders, self-titled debut album. I like the way you cross the street, cuz you're... Precious. Moving through the Cleveland heat house. Precious. One of the greatest albums of all time, and I'm going to make it number five this week of my top albums of 1979. Ooh, well done. Yes. So it came out in America. Yeah. In the, but then the next month, it came out in England in 1980. So a 70s and an 80s album, but technically 79. Don't break down my neck, no. I've got no toys on display. I send them away. I mean, what the heck? And I 
think we even had this conversation in our albums of 1980 episode. That's correct. I don't really remember where we landed, but ain't nothing wrong with that. Nope. Pretenders. So my number five this week is about as obscure as I'm going to get this week, but what an album. It was released on Greg Shaw's legendary Bomp label in 1979, The Last L.A. Explosion is the name of the album. So The Last was led by Joe Nolte and his brothers, so, you know, maybe they're like the indie Bee Gees. <laughs> L.A. Explosion is a marvelous piece of work that sits at the intersection of garage, punk, surf, psych, and power pop. So basically what they do is they take all of the prevalent L.A. musical styles from about the early 60s, mix those with a healthy dose of Mersey Beat influence, and create this seamless amalgamation that anticipates really the Paisley underground scene that would bloom in LA a couple of years later. Remarkably well-written album. Nolte clearly studied his 60s music, and even though it's informed by the punk rock of the day, its somewhat quaint production lends a vintage charm. The best-known track on here, She Don't Know Why I'm Here, has the rock and energy of a 1966 garage classic. The next track is the timeless melody of This Kind of Feeling. It really could pass for a British Invasion hit from 1964. Then there's another song a little bit later on the album, Every Summer Day That Fizzes With Beach Blanket Bingo Pep. That's tough to say. This album has languished in relative obscurity for the past 43 years, but those who know, know. And if you didn't know, you know now. So number five for me is the last LA explosion. Hmm. I'm going to homework already. Yeah. Thanks, cool Brett. Thanks, teacher. Yes. Oh, well, good. Number well, four for you, Greg. Number four on my list is an album that I could only thank God Nick Rhodes heard in 1979 and said, that's who I want to be when I grow up. Uh, you already know where I'm going. I know where uh, you're going. Of course, Japan's album, Quiet Life, influenced Duran Duran. I mean, Japan at the time, they stepped away from their glam rock influenced style and got into synth pop and introduced the world to elegant decadence, which is the template for Duran Duran. You would think that Nick Rhodes is on the cover of this album because it looks like him. It's like maybe it was his older brother, but uh, I still uh, need to learn more about Japan. That's one band that I, whenever I hear it, I'm like, oh, I like that. Some stuff, uh, uh, it's, it's okay. But um, definitely I'm a big Duran Duran fan, have been since 1981. When you really look at Japan, um, that's the template for Duran Duran. I picked their album from 1979, Quiet Life, and put it at number four. That's a stunner of an album. And you're it's right, really good. particularly the title track, Quiet Life. 
I mean, oh, you yeah. could mix that in to Duran Duran's first album unsuspectingly, and some people would not know the difference. For some reason, and maybe I'm off, but when I was listening to Quiet Life, that song, I kept on thinking of Duran Duran's Tel Aviv. Yeah, I hear that. So that's like that's why I was totally was like, wow, could totally see the influence of one and the other. Nick Rhodes, of course, listened to this album. He probably still does. And he was, you know, playing, tinkering with his synth. And he was so influenced by Japan. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm influenced by Japan and I don't even play an instrument. Totally. Um, but you could totally see where Japan really, he was a big fan and whether they admit it or not. And I think that they do. I mean, I don't know. I don't, they have nothing against Japan. You know, Duran uh, Duran's going on tour again. I, we talked about this with yeah. Niall Rodgers and Sheik. Bring Japan with them and let them open on a few uh, dates. Just do a few songs. I think that'd be so cool. David Sylvian is still out there. What are they, like 65 years old? I'm sure that, the, you know, come on. Coke up, kids. Are you familiar with Japan stuff after Quiet Life? A little bit. Like I said, Japan is a band I have to really explore more. Because yeah. I keep on, whatever I hear, most of it I like. And so I really should be more into them than, and know more about them than I do. Yeah. So their early 80s albums, Gentlemen Take Polaroids and Tin Drum, are really kind of weird, avant-garde, synthy. It's just really cool stuff. Japan. So my number four is an album that pointed to the future of alternative music as much as any out there. And it's a record that I've been listening to a lot lately. And I'm going to tell you why. And it's Gang of Four's debut album, Entertainment. Last year, of course, we were honored to have Gang of Four drummer Hugo Burnham on O3L to discuss his favorite drummers of all time, which, Greg, wouldn't you agree? I mean, that was a thrill because he's one of the greatest drummers of all time. Yeah. Talking about his greatest drummers of all time on our show. Plus, what I remember from him is he had this twinkle in his eye. He was talking, and you just knew that he has like this side to him that is just fun and uh, yes. devilish. And it was like I wanted to hear more and more of what he had to say. And during that show, Hugo let a little clue slip that there was some activity in the Gang of Four camp. And he was very hush-hush about it, but he kind of let on that something was afoot. Most of us probably know, if we know anything about Gang of Four, that Andy Gill, who kind of carried on the Gang of Four torch after the original band reunited in 2005, Andy put together a whole new Gang of Four with younger musicians, etc. And then Andy Gill passed away in 2020. Fast forward to March of 2022, Gang of Four is back on the road with Hugo, the original singer John King, 80s bassist Sarah Lee, and then the guitars from Slint, David Pajo, filling Andy Gill's massive shoes. This is, so me and some of you may remember my brother Brian, who uh, was on that show with us, because he's a huge Gang of Four fan. We're standing right next to the stage. We got to meet the band afterwards. We got to shake Hugo's hand. His word says, this is what a cool guy is. And I was really looking forward to meeting you guys. These are like pinch me moments. So anyway, my point is, besides that that was really cool and I got my copy of Entertainment signed, and it's only grown in stature for me. I've always thought of it as being a brilliant album, but the more I listen to it, my appreciation deepens and my admiration grows. Along with Public Image Limited's Metal Box, which was also released in 79, this album may define post-punk because it takes the danger and possibilities of punk rock 
and creates a noise that is totally different and totally unique to them, although of course countless bands would swipe their sound in the years since. It's political with Marxist leanings, it's confrontational, brutally honest, it's a thinking man's record that you can dance to. Gil's guitar can slash through your hedges and lacerate your eardrums. It's fractured and stuttering in all the right ways. Hugo and bassist Dave Allen at the time provide a backbone that's funky, but yet very brittle and terse. At home, he feels like a tourist. At home, he feels like a tourist. He fills his head with culture. He gives himself an ulcer. And then John King, what a pleasure it was to see him live because you watch those old videos of him and he carries himself like a man possessed, part Iggy and part James Brown. And you know what? At however old he is, 65 years old now, he's still that way. There's somebody, something that's possessing his body. And it's just amazing. Often imitated, but never bettered. And I'm looking at you, Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's entertainment. That is Gang of Fours Entertainment, my number four. Great pick, and what an influential album, as you were just saying, that has become and is. Now, I did not know that your brother went with you. I saw the pictures of you and Hugo, but I didn't know that your brother went. I'm sure that he was totally geeked out of his skull. Totally, totally. Wow. He got his copy of Solid Gold, their second album signed. So, yeah. So well, And on the VIP list, because his little brother, look at that. I know. What did he give you? Did he at least buy you a beer? No alcoholic libations involved that night. Wow. The moral compass. A totally sober experience. The moral compass of the Only Three Lads podcast. I would have gotten crap-faced. Don't drink, crap don't faced. smoke. What do you do? Yeah. No, I probably wouldn't. Goody so much shoes. work now. In an earlier part of my life, I've, I would have been bombed. It's all right. Just wait till the scurvy goes on tour. Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, Wow. Watch out, mateys. <laughs> We'd be coming for you. You walk the plank. You know what? If we got one beer for playing, that would be fun. One beer. Yeah. Well, hey, don't forget episode 107. We are officially podcasters here, and you are part of this community. Thank you so much for taking this ride with us and really being the wind beneath our wings. Wow, it wasn't that poetic. It was beautiful. Thank you. I'm so, tearing up a little bit. Our top albums of 1979. Remember, we need your help. And on a future episode, we can talk about which ones you pick. So get to our Facebook page. Make sure and tell your friends to go there too. Subscribe, hit the notification bell. And whenever you see one of our posts, which uh, recently I have not been on social media much. I don't know why. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going through a funk. I'm sorry, buddy. No. Let it all out. Yeah. I, mean, I think you'll well, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> no, I've been going to the gym. That's been helping, but. God, and then it's going to get hot here in Phoenix, and that's when you really just want to curl up and die. You are my future murderer, so. Yeah, that's you know, true. Yeah, if you need a shoulder to cry on, let me know. We'll do. We'll do. All right, we'll make sure and uh, get to our Facebook page. We want to see your list and stick around. Our third best album of 1979 is coming up after this Hi, this is Mimi Bettinas from Pez Band. And you're listening to the Only Three Lads Podcast. It's time to turn it over to the third lads out there. We asked for your top five albums of 1979 and you responded. Lad Ryan G gave us London Calling the Clash, Nervous Breakdown, Black Flag, It's Alive, The Ramones, Duty Now for the Future, Devo, The Great Rock and Roll Swindle by the Sex Pistols. 
Lad Peter threw in for consideration London Calling, The Pretenders, The Specials, The Fine Art of Surfacing by the Boomtown Rats, and Squeezing Out Sparks by Graham Parker. Lad Mike D added London Calling by The Clash, Look Sharp by Joe Jackson, Armed Forces by Elvis Costello, The B-52s, and Get the Knack by The Knack, of course. Lad Andy said, what a year in alternative music with his list, as well as some amazing honorable mentions. Armed Forces Elvis Costello, the B-52s, Regatta de Blanc by The Police, The Pretenders, and, of course, London Calling by The Clash. Now back to the show. Gee, it's hard to face giving up taste when you give up calories. Have a diet drink. The taste isn't much of a treat. This is sugar-free Dr. Pepper. Wow! Sugar-free Dr. Pepper. Tastes fattening, but it's not... Thank you for sticking around and thank you for being a part of the Only Three Lads podcast community. It's kind of like sports talk for classic alternative music and you're a part of it. And don't forget, we are on all of your favorite podcasting platforms like Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker. Sometimes the new stuff hasn't really been popping up on there. We don't know why. But we can also find us on Apple, the iHeartRadio app. And if you really don't want to deal with any of that crap, what you can do is go to Google Put in only three lads podcast, and then you'll see one of the disturbing pictures that Brett puts together that makes us look like mermaids. Um, uh, turkeys. Yep, check. Yep, check. Um, there's been some great ones. And the you Spice know, Girls. The check. Spice Girls. Oh, that, that was a good one. Yeah. Wow. So 79, you ought to make like disco or something. I don't know. Perfect. Yeah. I'm in. Okay, good. Because my uh, sister and brother in law is always, they always run into it and they're like, yeah, some of those pictures are really disturbing. I'm like, thank you. Are they disturbing in an entertaining way? Yes, in an entertaining okay. way. Yes. No, they Perfect. they they love them. And so that's why all we could hope for. Yes. It's like one of those things where like you stop and go, what the hell is that? And um that's that's half the fun. Do they have an Uncle Greg shirt? They don't yet. No. I don't think that they want one of those, but they probably would want one of the t shirts on there because we got a bunch of cool ones. I think there's some really good ones and some really good new ones too. So if you haven't been to our little t-shirt selection, uh, we talked about it, you know, last year, people in Spain ran into each other wearing shirts on the beach and they met and became friends. I don't know if they're still friends, but we can embellish this. Oh, but well, no, but the guy, he was from Portugal, right? Yeah. And he yeah. was in Spain and he was walking down the beach and some, he, what he said, very beautiful woman. Yes. Probably a supermodel. The supermodel, because supermodels listen mm-hmm. to this podcast. They do. She stopped they and they said, you listen to the Only Three Lads podcast. And they t- talked about the podcast. Yeah. Uh, the supermodel said, that Uncle Greg, he's so dreamy. Of course, she said it in Spanish. Yeah. But th- that's what we imagine she said. And again, because you see, people's minds, we fill in gaps. You know, so mm-hmm. since she can't see me, she only hears me. Maybe that's why she thinks I'm so hot. If she and saw she me. Said, she would say Brett that is a S. face L. for Nerdo. podcasting. Yes, that's a case. That's a face for podcasting. Hey, Nerdo. Could happen. Could happen. It, it more than likely did. So 1979, the first Walkman came out in Japan. I had actually made that very note myself, too, because uh, that changed the way that we consumed music, right? It became something where you could have your own music anywhere any time of day, which, you know, we take for granted now, but I mean, that was revolutionary back then. Yeah, well, I think, remember the Kiss Radio? Yeah. That probably came out in the late 70s. I remember, and that was the same sort of thing, but you couldn't take out the cassette. I think that's when cassettes came into vogue was the Walkman. 
because uh, then, you know, that's when you could carry around, like you said, because we had the eight track. Yeah. Which is if you're in ready, you know, they look like carts, but, the, you know, there was like this big thing. The eight track wasn't as easy to rewind or, you know. Well, you couldn't. I guess find your favorite song. You, yeah. You couldn't rewind it. You had four tracks or four channels and uh, you could switch between the four channels. But if you wanted to go to the beginning, you had to wait for it to loop around. A very clunky medium. That being said, I still have eight tracks. <clears throat> How did hey. I know that? Okay, what does your eight track collection look like? And what are you looking for? Maybe people can help you find your holy grail eight track. I don't really collect eight tracks. It's one of those things where if I find them for cheap, I probably have maybe a, a hundred. Probably <laughs> my... <laughs> I don't have is, many. <laughs> is that unusual? Uh, yeah, that's yeah, unusual. I have a few Beatles and Beatle related. One I found for like 19 cents was an eight track of Love's Forever Changes, which I think is really cool for some reason. Now tell us how, because I get to see it every time we record one of these podcasts. Mm -hmm. Behind you is a wall of music. Like if you, yes. listen, you can listen to all the music you have for the rest of your life. No, I won't. You, you yeah. will murder me far before. Far before that. Absolutely. Yeah. But now when you are collecting albums, do you want like the originals or are you like a snob against mm. any of the reissues? No, I'm definitely not a snob against reissues. It's really a mixed bag because I'll go for generally the best pressing of an album. Mm -hmm. I am a sucker for reissues that have bonus tracks and, you know, box sets and things like that. When we're talking about records, yeah, having the, the original artifact is nice as long as it's a good pressing and clean and stuff but no nah, i'm not really snobbish when it comes to to that i just want the best possible copy or in the case of some albums the best like 10 copies <laughs> yeah there was one time i'm listening to people yeah. record collectors talking about grams and i'm thinking about yeah. you know are they talking about drugs what, the fuck? You know, what, what are they talking about and so are you like that much into it like where you can talk with like another uh, record collector yeah. about the weight and the grams and this, and it means this. And, and I could, but uh, grams mean nothing. People get suckered into this whole myth that the heavier the record, the better the sound quality. And that is just absolutely untrue. If anybody is familiar with RCA's Dynaflex pressings that they released in the uh, throughout the 70s, these things are flimsy. And that's what they were intended to do. They were intended to be lighter weight records. Some of them sound like complete trash. Some of them, like some of the Bowie Dynaflexes, sound phenomenal it's all down to the mastering and the cutting engineer and you know i mean there's so many different factors the vinyl weight is not one of them it's nice to hold that nice thick heavy record in your hands but don't buy into the hype that the thicker the record the better the sound quality because that's not true see the more you know the more you know the rockter brady Fargo. oh i just crushed my soapbox <laughs> All right. Darn it. Well, landing at number three on my list of the top albums of 1979, it's a power pop ride. Now, I've talked about the album cover being banned in my house, but Alberto Vargas, you have great taste. Of course, the Cars Candio, that album cover, if you haven't seen it, Google it, and then you'll know what I, I say right on the head, fire in the hole. It is a great, great album cover that my mom did not like because I grew up in one of those nice Catholic families. You 
You know, the album Candio from the Cars is not as polished as their 1978 debut, but I think that's why I love it. I mean, the song Let's Go is on there. It's All I Can Do, Dangerous Type, uh, Night Spots, um, all standout songs to me on Candio. And as I always say, you can never go wrong with the Cars, so I just picked them number three, Candio, this week, Albums of 79. It may not be song for song as strong of an album as the debut, but I think I'll actually listen to it more just because you can hear the entire first album in your head at any time Mm -hmm. because those songs are so ingrained and played on the radio all the time still. Candy O still sounds fresh to me. That's a good good one. one. And the album cover, one of the best. Va-va-va-voom. Especially if you're nine years older, or in your case, you were turning five. Yeah. It was still very titillating, I'll tell you. Gregory, uh, we're going to put that Candio record in an Engelbert Humperdinck sleeve. Actually, be Barry Manilow. Probably. Barry Manilow. Oh, yes. That, that will not get your rocks off, Gregory. Nope. Or maybe it will, I don't know. You're nah. only nine years old. You still have a lot of growing up to do, Gregory. All yeah. right. Th- thank you, Pat Paul. <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, okay. Love you, Mom. Love you, Mom. My number three album, 1979, is a record so stuffed with giddy energy that when you look up youthful exuberance in the dictionary, the album cover ought to be right next to it. Now, of course, I do know that youthful exuberance is two words, so you can't actually look it up in the dictionary, but you know what I mean. So it's the self-titled debut album by Northern Ireland's finest, The Undertones. The album was released in May of 1979 by Sire Records as a 14-track album, and then it was reissued with a different cover in October of 1979 with their two essential early singles appended to it, Teenage Kicks and Get Over You. I'm going to recommend the 16-track edition here as being the definitive one because you gotta have those two tracks. All the same, those 16 tracks zip by in under 35 minutes, which to me is the perfect length for an album in my opinion. Each song is a perfect and concise little punky pop jewel. It just sounds like five mischievous school kids convening to bash out some tunes to see what magic ensues. They sing about the things that you would expect. Girls. 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 The boys who get girls. The boys who are too awkward to get girls. That's about it. And girls. Nothing too heavy here, just rock and roll music played loud, fast, simple, and fun. Here comes the summer. Here comes the summer. like a a northern irish version of the ramones if you will the songs were mostly written by future that petrol emotion mastermind john o'neill with the occasional assist from brother damien and other bandmates michael bradley and billy doherty the only member that did contribute any writing to this album also provided the most distinctive sonic feature of the band which is fearful sharky lead singer with his signature adenoidal quiver that is and i suspect always will be one of my go-to feel-good albums 
And this week it's number three, The Undertone Self-Titled. Nice. Great album. Pleases to this day. So maybe a little bit more homework for everybody, but The Undertones, you okay there? I had to mute for a second. Uh, okay. Coughing fit. Okay. I looked down. I was like, oh my God. He's choking. Now I don't have to murder him after all. <laughs> yeah. Was like He'll a- die on his own. <laughs> Well, then, no, there was a bodybuilder who died this week, 44 years old, Cedric McMillan. Oh. And I know you have no idea who he is, but um, I always watch these bodybuilders. Is he related to Krakow? Not at all, no. It was just sad. He was on a treadmill. It is sad. That's like, uh, what was his name? Uh, Jim Fix. He was the jogger. That was like in the 70s, a jogger. He died of a heart attack really young. And then you got Keith Richards. All he done is, you know, bang groupies and snort coke. Happy as hell. And he's alive, and he was like 93. I don't even know how old he is. Long live Keith Richards. Yeah. I don't know. He's going to outlive us all. I think so. In fact, the 100th anniversary of the Stones' Altamont concert is in 2069, of course, and he's already uh, planning to play it. And we laugh and giggle. Watch. He'll be there. Um, All right. Modern medicine. All right. Got to love it. Better living through chemicals, as I say. Totally. My number two album of 1979 was once named by VH1 as the 99th best album of all time. It's a party album out of Athens, Georgia. Of course, I'm not going to have this list without the B-52s on it. Their debut album, released in 1979, brought us the songs uh, Rock Lobster, Planet Claire. One of my favorites, There's a Moon in the Sky. It's called The Moon. Yeah. Honestly, I think that I like B-52's Wild Planet better, that album. But still, this debut album is a banger. I love it. It's great. Uh, and it's as close to Yoko Ono as I think I'm ever going to get. Um, I'm, But maybe around, right? I'll come around. But we'll yeah, just have to wait around. and see if it happens. She came from Planet Claire. But of course, one of my favorite albums from my, one of my favorite bands, the B-52s, debut album, 1979, number two this week on my list. Another good one. I know Julian, when he came on, he was our third lad, or fourth yep. lad, actually. Fourth at lad the time. at the time, um, yeah. And now he's a big B-52 fan because of it, and also a Squeeze fan. Yeah. What is he listening to? He's listening to a lot of African music now, a lot of kraut rock. Jeez, I don't know. He's He turns me on to stuff all the time. Oh, cool. And we talked about this before on the show, too. Every once in a while, he'll send me something. He goes, Dad, you got to listen. This is really cool. I'm like, yeah, I, I know this. But he's also hipping me to a lot of stuff that I didn't know. And this is like, you know, vintage stuff, too. Like, he'll pick out, hey, listen to this Korean album from 1972. It's really cool. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I had no idea it existed. Yeah, very cool. See? You teach the children well, and then they, in turn, teach you. Teach what it's all about. the children well. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know any more words of that song. And Did thank God. Well, I guess a scurvy will not be covering that. Oh, maybe. Maybe. No Crosby, Stills, and Nash covers for us. Okay. Yeah, we don't have to do that. But can we do some Neil Young? Because, you know, in 1979, he had that what album, that live album. Rust Never Sleeps. Rust Never Sleeps. Which and, I, and Live Rust. Yeah. Yeah. So those yeah. people love those albums. So maybe. It was a big year for him. 
Those are some great albums. Hmm. All right, so for number two, I'm going to go with what may seem to be an unusual choice for an alternative music list, but it's probably the most out there of all my picks, and it might arguably be even more influential on current indie music than any of the others that I've mentioned. It's a quirky, ambitious double album that was considered a failure by selling 4 million copies. <laughs> I'd love that failure. Why was it a failure? So, so would every record label out there today. I know, totally. When your preceding album was called Rumors, anything is a relative failure after that. So, yes, if you haven't guessed already, my number two album is Tusk by Fleetwood Mac, released on October 12th, 1979. I have to be honest. Great pick. Great pick. Thank you. It made my list, too, but I didn't pick it. Because it's a great album. So it comes at the tail end of the 70s, but it really represents the apex of 70s self-indulgence. It's basically the soundtrack of what happens when a band has way too much money and way too much cocaine. Yeah. But let's not also forget way too much hate. Yeah. This album is great because Lindsey Buckingham and uh, what's the chick's name? Stevie Nicks. Thank you so much. She grew up here. They, they were here in Arizona before they joined Fleetwood Mac. Why? I can't remember her name. It's called Dementia. But they were breaking up and boy, they were just throwing turds at each other. Oh, yeah. And this album, you hear it. It's awesome. And it costs more than a million dollars to make, which is mind boggling by any standards today or or especially in 1979. And the band, and Lindsey Buckingham in particular, set out to make an album that was radically different from its predecessor, Rumors. And really, more than anything, Lindsey Buckingham's vision is at the heart and soul of this album. He positioned himself as this eccentric pop genius in the mold of Brian Wilson or Phil Spector, obsessively ensuring that each little sonic fragment was perfectly in place, recording percussion on a Kleenex box. He taped mics to the ground and then did a push-up position to get a different sound to his vocals. I mean, just weird, crazy stuff like that. They went to Dodger Stadium. This is just like rock and roll. We've had the best-selling album in the world. They rent out Dodger Stadium, get the USC marching band in there to record that very familiar tribal horn riff and all that percussion for the title track, Tusk crazy stuff to be sure yet most of the songs on the record by Lindsay and he wrote nine out of the 20 tracks are spare punk and new wave influenced art pop so that left six songs for christine mcvee who essentially sticks to her more polished brand of keyboard bass pop usually her songs are probably my least favorite on their albums but she really provides a couple of album highlights with the bouncy single Think About Me and the haunting song Brown Eyes. I love this song. There's a story disheveled. He was kind of insane by that time. The original Fleetwood Mac guitarist Peter Green, he wandered into the studio and he ended up playing some guitar licks on this track and they edited most of them out, but on the album proper, you can hear them in the fade out. If you buy the deluxe edition of Tusk, you can hear them throughout the whole song, which is pretty cool because I'm a big Peter Green fan. Rest in peace. The remaining five songs belong to Stevie Nicks, and they range from her mystical poetry in songs like the radio staple Sarah and Sisters of the Moon to really what I feel are a couple of the most underrated songs on the album. Two very gorgeous and affecting ballads, uh, one called Storms 
and then beautiful child. it's failure at all it's a wonderfully strange beast of an album number two tusk fleetwood mac great pick it really Thank was you, you know because it's 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 the same thing it's like you are kind of get um i guess shaded by your own success rumors was so huge and so big no matter what they did and if it didn't sell as many copies as rumors then it was a failure yeah. but um i'll tell you any band out there right now would love to sell for especially a double album four Heck million yeah. copies you know tusk like could could you imagine with the budgets that they have today to rent out dodger stadium get usc band just the budget for coke alone that day i mean <laughs> yeah. if if you watch the video on youtube everyone was gacked except maybe christy mcvee she was drinking white wine you could see it there yeah. in the video yeah <laughs> but you know they definitely they were being themselves, and it looked like a lot of fun. But what that's a great song. If your first exposure to them was Rumors, and then you hear just this bizarre tribal pound of Tusk, it had to be very jarring. Now, I'm very confused with their best albums of 1979 because there's a lot of great albums that you haven't picked yet. So you're number mm -hmm. one. I thought that maybe I'd be able to pick it, and I still have probably a handful that I think that will come up, but I don't know. Guess we'll just have to see. All right, we'll stick around. Our number one albums from 1979 here on the Only Three Lads podcast is coming up next. You want more lists? We've got more lists for you, courtesy of the O3L community. Lad Dan, who always brings a lot of great female-dominated music to the table, contributed... Devo, Duty Now for the Future, Pat Benatar in the Heat of the Night, Susie Quattro, Susie, and other four-letter words, the B-52s, and Blondie's Eat to the Beat. Lad P. Rich based his list on the number of times that he's listened to each album and added that they are just plain seminal. But not that seminal, Uncle Greg. Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division, B-52s, Entertainment by Gang of Four, Replicas by Gary Newman and Two-Way Army, and London Calling by The Clash. Lad Ryan H. gave us an eclectic list of gems, the B-52s, Metal Box by P.I.L., London Calling by The Clash, Three Imaginary Boys by The Cure, and Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division. And Lad Julio, always good for a solid, fun, and detailed list, regaled us with The Wall, Pink Floyd, London Calling, Unknown Pleasures by Joy Division, the B-52s, and Regatta de Blanc by The Kings. Wednesday on 8 is Enough. Elizabeth learns all about the animals who party on Fraternity Row. Then, the angels take a pleasure cruise on Charlie's new yacht. Stop it! But sail into the middle of a gold smuggler's war. Gold! Tomorrow. Once again, thank you so much for sticking around, and thank you so much. Episode 107th of the Only Three Lads podcast. Unbelievable. Yep. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then just think, when we say 200, 300... 300, yeah. 400, 700. <laughs> One billion. We'll be super old. Yes. One billion We'll be really episodes. old. Yes. We'll be Yeah, we're really going to have to step it up. 700. We did 100 in roughly two years. We huh? got a ways to go. Only three pensioners. Yep. Well, we got time. And the music we is still going to be alive and still be great and still be influencing people. Years yep. from now, I guarantee. Maybe it. we'll expand the classic alternative tag to like 2015 by that time. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. we're going to have to do that because 
There was a lot of great stuff in the 2000s that, you know, will be classic. Because it is weird. You know, I remember listening to classic rock. And now when you're walking through the you know grocery store, you sometimes hear songs that aren't even your generation. You know, yeah. they're like, you know, <laughs> 1997, you have Len, you, you know, what was that song? Steal, uh, my, sunshine. Steal my Sunshine. Yeah. What a great song. But that's Here's that saying. classic rock hit by Limp Bizkit, whatever <laughs> the heck one of Limp Bizkit's songs is. <laughs> Oh, come on. Break Stuff, Nookie. They did a version of... Um, uh, oh, Faith. Faith. They did a version of Faith. Yeah, oh. which actually was what kind of got them first noticed. <laughs> yeah, I, I have, remember that. I have an original uh, single of that with the record label put out because I got it. Wow. Somewhere in my box. Got mm. a box of crap from... I mean, I got like, CDs all over the place. I don't relate to that. Yeah, well, no. Mine is nothing <laughs> like yours, but mine is all free stuff from record labels. And, uh, you know, whenever they used to put out, like, you know, remember you used to listen to the radio, you would always give away like the new album on air and stuff like that. Yep. We used to always do that. They would give us more for us back yeah. in the olden days. One for the listeners, two for me. I never did that, but we used to give them away on the streets. So there's a lot of crap though, too. Like, um, I don't know if you realize, but the Insane Clown Posse, they were first released on Hollywood Records, which is a subsidiary of, of Disney. Disney. Yes. And so they put those out and they recalled them. Well, guess who didn't give them back? Right oh, here, kids. And they there had, you go. and then back in the, so then they had like the red cover and the green cover. I have both. I remember that being a big fervor. Yes. And it was for like 10 seconds. So then what happened was like nobody knew who the Insane Clown Posse was. They were just like this new group. You know, the Juggalos didn't even exist back in those the days. The Juggalos. I was going to call them the Juggaloos, but then I remember that that was like the Bugaloos. Yeah. Yeah. Not but basically, the they just, um, no one knew who they were. Then this big stink came out because Disney was putting out the Insane Clown Posse on their Hollywood records. So then um, they said that they weren't going to just give this away. But then I guess they sold the band to some other label, put it out, and the rest is history. I couldn't tell you one of their songs, though, but I have mm. those albums. No, I can't either. I am no juggaloo, that's for sure. That's for sure. But you are a lad. And we are taking a look at our top albums of 1979, and we are at our number ones. Yes, finally. So I'm afraid here. to ask what some of your honorable mentions were, because all of our lists are probably way too long. <laughs> well, just put it this way. This week, I had my top five and 65 honorable mentions. <laughs> oh, my God. That's what I figured. Now, there's some that I wanted to ask you about, because I'm sure that you yes. may know of these people. But I heard something, and I have to dive into it more. But Tom Verlaine, he was the guitarist of television. Correct. He had a solo album came out that year. He did, which I think, uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember which one. Was that Dreamtime out that year? I think was it was it self-titled. I, I just think it was self-titled. I okay. have to dive more into that because I've heard yeah. a little bit off that. Of course, uh, Buzzcocks had an album that year. Yeah, I'm surprised no one's talked about Talking Heads, Fear of Music, but I'm not a big Talking Heads fan, so I'm not shocked with me, but maybe it'll make some of our communities list. On It's on my big list. Now, one that I was thinking about picking was Tom Petty, Damn the Torpedoes. It's another great one. Great one. XTC, Drums and Wires. Yep. There's two that I think that could be your number one. You don't have to give us the answer yet. Okay. I will but say But of course, nothing. The Jam, Setting Suns, and then of course, Elvis Costello, Armed Forces. I think that maybe your number one could be one of those two, 
But for not both of them to make your list is what I'm shocked about. I was too. And maybe it's neither one of those. Maybe it's your number one, but I'm just saying. I talked about albums that it was painful to leave off. And those were the one ones. or both of those may have been painful to leave off. So I'll give you one guess what my number one was. I don't know if it's going to be one of those technicalities again. Could be. I think you're going to nail it. Drum roll, please. London Calling. That's it. Number one, London Calling from The Clash. Told you I am predictable, ladies. If you're looking for stability, here I am. You may get bored sometimes, but I'll tell you what. At least you know what you're getting. And it's about 10 seconds of rough love, and then we go take naps. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, It's less than that. But of course, it's the best two double. Pumps. <laughs> yeah, two, two pumps, pumps. and you're out. Calling to the faraway towns. Now war is declared and battle come down. London calling to the underworld. Come out of the cupboard, you boys and girls. London calling. Now don't look at us. Phony Beatlemania. But of course, my number one album of 1979 is probably the best double album of all time. I mean, you get every genre of music in there. And yes, it is that technicality, but it's opposite of Pretenders, where it was released in um, London in 1979. And in 1980, just a month later in January, released in the United States. Is that correct? I think that's it, That is correct. But of course, The Clash, you can't go wrong. And you have to put The Clash in there. So London Calling, you nailed it, man. Number one. So you have to put The Clash in there, you say, huh? Ooh, yeah. You want to guess what my number one is? Well, I would think I thought the jammer Elvis Costello either would have been good. But um, if you just said that, I think that your number one is going to be the Clash London Calling. Yes. Hey, crossover. There we go. Yeah, it didn't feel right to put anything other than London Calling based on this technicality that it was first released in December of 1979 in the UK. Usually me being the Anglophile I am, I usually go off the UK releases anyway. So there you go. It's one of those times where the critics got it absolutely, completely right. It's routinely called one of the greatest albums of all time. And unlike most critical sacred cows, I really haven't seen the backlash that most of those records get. Like even Sgt. Pepper, which sat atop its throne being called the greatest album ever created for a good 20 years after its release. Now you get these idiots these misguided souls and i'm sorry if you're listening out there and you're one of them but you're an idiot no i don't really mean that but you kind of are you know where you go oh sergeant pepper wasn't that good oh the songs aren't that good you know what shut up that's all i have to say other than go burn but anyway i'm sorry well i am more of a revolver guy from the beatles that's just me though oh no no that's fine you can be a revolver guy i love revolver revolver push came to shove would probably be my single favorite beatle album but I'm not going to fault anybody for calling Sgt. Pepper the greatest album of all time. Every time I listen to Sgt. Pepper, it's the greatest album of all time. Enough of that. And I'm sorry for offending. I don't mean it's you see very how nice late. You are? This is how nice Brett is. Tells you to go up up your button around the corner. Yeah. And then he says he's sorry. If no. I ever tell you up your button around the corner. You're I sticking mean, by it. I'm sticking by it, damn it. Well, I'm secretly Canadian. And the scurvy is a very polite bunch of lads no see we're 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 salty but oh, sweet you're right scurvy you're, oh. salty see look at the, you know Ooh, we can I go like both you. yes you look at two Ooh, sides of the coin we love the scurvy in the netherlands yes oh, okay all right well back to london calling 
It remains one of the most important musical statements of all time. And it is, yes, as you said, the textbook example of how to do a double album right. You mentioned all the different musical styles that they cover. Rockabilly, jazz, reggae, ska, dub, pop, of course, punk rock. remarkable thing to me about London Calling is that they land 19 out of 19 tracks every single idiom they try whether it's the 16 originals or the three covers they make everything their own they move from strength to strength they play it masterfully and what amazes me even more is when you think that two and a half years prior they were putting out as brilliant as their debut was it's pretty rudimentary punk rock played with very few chords for them to release an album of this maturity and sophistication and yet retain the fire and the almighty message so you still have their songs about politics war racism drugs consumerism all these great character studies I mean, it, it truly is remarkable how far they came in a very short time. If there was ever a cliche about The Clash, it's the whole only band that matters tag, and we all know that that's far from the truth. But you can put on London Calling, and they feel like the only band that matters for the 65 minutes while you're listening to that album. It's really, truly one of the landmarks in rock history. So, number one, crossover, The Clash, London Calling. The only crossover, and number ones. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, wow. so you hit some of your, your your honorable mentions there. I did have, yeah, the Jam and Elvis's honorable mentions. A few more that I had that really, you know, kind of hurt. Joe Jackson's Look Sharp. Mm-hmm. Graham Parker Squeezing Out Sparks. Nick Lowe, Labor of Lust. Uh, Stiff Little Fingers, Inflammable Material. Joy Division, Unknown Pleasures. That's one, the, that's one of mine there, too. Man, The Slits, Cut. P.I.L. Metal Box. Madness One Step Beyond. Gary Newman, The Pleasure Principle, David Bowie, Lodger. I'll Keep tire myself Dream out Police. just reading this uh, The Dream records, Police, yeah. their, their debut album. The records, uh, Shades in Bed, yeah. Oh, yeah, so there's a bunch of them. bunch of them. 1979, a great year. Maybe we should compile both of our lists and come up with like a massive list of 1979 albums. Yes. Forget Easter. Just uh, listen to records all day. That works for me. Yes. It'd be the resurrection. I was going to anyway. Yes, man. Nineteen. I don't remember much about nineteen seventy nine. Again, I was so young. I remember uh, Russia's. You know, like you know, kind of like now. Every, everybody hated Russia in yeah. the seventies. Yep. Um, weird. Weird. Yeah. Full circle. The more I guess. things change, right? God. What else was there in seventy nine? Um, I don't remember much. There was a lot of like the anti nukes protests, oh, yeah. like the no nukes concert, which you would be <laughs> yeah. happy to know that because I bought this recently. That the entire uh, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band set was just released, and it's oh, phenomenal. God. I bet it is. Also, what I uh, the disco sucks stuff at uh, yeah White Sox Stadium. I forgot what it's called. Comiskey um, Park. Come in, thanks. See, look at that mm-hmm. again. Uh, Stevie Nicks, Comiskey Park. I didn't even say that right. Um, Comiskey Park. Got it all. Uh, yeah. So thank God you're there. A lot of great TV that year. Dukes of Hazard was on. I remember that. And then yeah, Dukes Chips, of Hazard. That's probably my favorite show. Chips and Dukes of Hazard. Yeah. I was more of a sitcom guy. I still am. Uh, I know Alice premiered that year. Let's see. You had oh, yeah. like um, good times. We have, Mel, we have Mel's Diner here in Phoenix still. 
You do, yeah, that's right. It's, it's right there downtown. It's on Grand Avenue, but it's you know I think the person who bought it uh, they um, mimicked it. You know they copied it off the TV show. It wasn't the original Mel's Diner. Well, it's not the same as what's in L.A. because there's Mel's Diners in L.A. too. I don't think so. I, they made yeah. it look like the Mel's Diner from the Alice TV show. Oh, that's show. cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and I think the TV show took place in Tucson. No, it was in Phoenix. Was it in Phoenix? Yeah, yeah. Are you sure? One hundred percent. Well, ninety-nine. One hundred percent. Challenge on, mon frere. Yeah, because challenge no, was, on. Yeah, no, because she was driving through Phoenix. Her car broke down, and then she stayed. Let's see, Alice. Yeah. yeah, this is exciting podcasting, right? Yes, kiss my We're gonna grits. Find out where Alice was really set. Kiss my grits, Brett. It was Phoenix. Dang it, you're right. Yep. Hey, in 1979, there wasn't much in Phoenix. So when the, the most pop, one of the most popular TV shows on, you know, was supposed to be based in Phoenix, everyone knew it. All right, I could have sworn it was in, in Tucson. I watched Alice religiously. Well, look at you. Kiss my grits. Now I feel like my whole life's been a sham. <laughs> it's a sham. All right, let's go down our list uh, at number five of my top albums of 1979. I kicked it off with the Pretenders' debut album at number four, Japan Quiet Life. If you get a chance and you're a Duran Duran fan, listen to that. The Cars at number three with Candio at number two, the B-52's debut album. And the big one, number one, Clash, London Calling, my top album of 79. All right. My number five was The Last, L.A. Explosion. Number four, Gang of Four Entertainment. Number three, The Undertone, self-titled. Number two, Fleetwood Mac, Tusk. And number one, yes, The Clash, London Calling. I am still flabbergasted that Ellis Costello's third album, Armed Forces, I know. Did not make your list. There's like great songs. It starts right there. Oh, totally. I'm shocked. Shocked. I love it. it. It is such a great album. I, I don't know. I don't know what came over me. That's okay. I panicked. Your list. You just like those, you know, these other ones better. And you could still love Elvis Costello. I don't know if I love him better, though. I mean, that album's been with me for such a long time. That's it. I'm revising my list. Can we redo the show over? Well, it might be better. Who knows? Take two. All right. Hit that randomizer. Let's see what we're talking oh, about. Yeah. All in right, the let's, future. We, let's look into the future. But you know what? I um, definitely had a lot of fun this week listening to all these albums and then discovering new stuff like that guy from the uh, television, the guitarist. I got to yes, dive into Tom that Verlaine. more. Verlaine. I was going to say Tom, but then I was, I was going to screw up his last name, which is not outrageous for me. Tom. Well, they're actually one of the albums on my 70 list was a band called the Toms, which is actually just a one-man band, a guy named Tom. Wow, so, imagine that. There you go. And actually, fun fact about the Toms, because I love that album, after I first started putting my music on the internet, he was my first like celebrity comment slash review. Wow. His words to me were, your music reminds me of a time when music was still fun or something like that. Wow, that's nice for him to say. Yeah, I was very impressed by that. Yeah. And all this is to say that I'm buying time because I'm okay. looking for the randomizer. Okay. Okay. You ready? Ready. No. Stop. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. How about the top five 70s punk albums? The Toms. Looks like we're going to get you, dude. <laughs> we might get you the Toms. Top five, five 70s punk albums. Punk albums. So the Ramones, the Ramones, the Pistols, the Clash, the Damned. Number one, London Calling. <laughs> it could be. I'm going to leave London Calling off this next list, though. That's all. I probably will, too, because I think it pigeonholes it too much to call it a punk album. I think it's doing it a disservice. Yes, I would have to agree. 
So episode 108, the top five 1970s punk albums. If you have that list or the your top albums of 1979, make sure make it over to our Facebook page. We have a lot of new t-shirts, so if you haven't got one in a while or still haven't gotten one, make sure and grab one. Fly the flag for the Only Three Lads podcast. And once again, thank you so much. Um, really, I can't tell you how much joy I get out of hanging out with you, Brett, and how much joy I get to likewise. Um, you know, just listen to music and then really dive into it and kind of research it. It gives me a, a one of my happiest moments to live. And maybe I have a really lame life, and I I have to admit that uh, I'm always no. told how lame I am because I'm into geology and that sort of stuff and science, and I don't watch much movies. I watch documentaries. <laughs> That's what oh, I keep hearing sorry. my whole life. But when I get to do this, makes me happy. So thank you for being part of this happiness. I do really appreciate it. No, likewise. I am ecstatic to do this show. I love the feedback that we get. I love the fact that we are building a community here. Greg, I love hanging with you. I never know when it's going to be the last time before you kill me in cold <laughs> blood. So, you know, it's kind of like Russian roulette. I, I love it. Well, yeah, you never you know. You never know. You know, because... I'm not really a quiet one. So usually when you see on the news, he was so quiet before he killed that whole yeah. school bus full of kids. No. You know, so that's why I think, yeah, it'll, it'll, I'll just crack. It's never the loud mouth. It'll be it. And just in case this does appear as exhibit A in, in my murder trial, Greg did not do it. I've been no. kidding the whole time. Greg did not murder me. Mm -hmm. To quote another album from 1979, Off the Wall. We're not going to stop till you get enough, and we hope you don't get enough because we want to be doing this for a long time. So we will see you next week, and until then, we'll say goodbye, wave hello, say goodbye, something like that. Peace! The theme music is Frequency, written and performed by yours truly, Brett Vargo. Any other music in this episode is presented solely for purposes of review, examination, and news reporting. If you like what you hear, go to your record store and pick up the LP, CD, cassette, or 8-track, or stream it if you're one of those newfangled fancy pants. If we're lucky enough to still have these artists with us, go out and see some live music. For the latest updates, join the O3L community at facebook.com slash only3lads. We want to hear from you. And while you're at it, click on the Shop Now link for the coolest threads. Until next time, thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 